Hello and welcome to the Dairy Dialogue podcast, and this is number 87. It's considered an unlucky number in Australian cricket because your 13 runs away from an elusive 100 or a century. And that's all I've got on the number 87. Well, there are others, but not overly exciting. I suppose the first black hole ever photographed was M87, if that's interesting. I'm Jim Cornell, editor of Dairy Reporter, and it's been a crazy week. I've never received so many emails, press releases and news. I guess that's a good thing to be busy. As it's Scotland, we've also had lots of different weather, although nothing quite like the hailstones the size of tennis balls that they had in Calgary, Alberta. We'll get to the news in a minute, but first I'll let you know who is on the show this week. And for the next few podcasts, we have lots of guests, so it will likely be four interviews every show for a few weeks at least, so plenty of long podcasts for you to listen to. Just think of it as an hour less of lockdown. This week's podcast features interviews with Daniel Ramon Bidal, Vice President of Health and Wellness at ADM, Clementina Delamonaco, Global Product Line Manager for Dairy Enzymes at DuPont Nutrition and Biosciences, Ilana Fisher, CEO of US-based cheese snack company Wisps, and Alice Shrubsall, Assistant Cheese Buyer at UK retailer Waitrose. And of course we have our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Liam Fenton from INCLFC Stone. So let's take a look at this week's news, and it's been pretty hard to keep up with it because there's been so much of it. My to-write list just gets longer and longer. Or maybe I'm just getting slower and slower, who knows. Deep breath time. Chinese dairy company Mengyu is expecting a big drop in profits. A report from FAIR says some dairy companies are in the high-risk category of its pandemic report. In Ireland, the ICMSA says prices paid to farmers for milk must reflect recovery. Tetra Pak is committed to net zero emissions and Metla Toledo has launched a new washdown check weighing series. I think all my checks weigh the same. Nothing. I can't actually remember when the last time I wrote a check was. Moving on, GEA launched the ABF 2.0 filling system for shelf-stable milk-based drinks. Food Union has launched more than 100 new ice cream products across the Baltics and Northern Europe. There's a new and innovative lid solution for the Collective's new yogurt. Barley has joined the ranks of dairy alternative drinks. And the top-selling spicy cheese in the UK, Mexicana, now has a vegan counterpart. European retailer Spar is helping out dairy farmers in Switzerland and Tech Projects has developed some new stainless steel solutions to help food processing companies get back to work. Elopack has launched Pure Pack Imagine and Arla's newest whey ingredient, Lacprodan Hydro Rebuild, has been created to slow age-related muscle decline. Those stories, and plenty more, can be found on DairyReporter.com. Okay, let's get to this week's guests. One article we ran a couple of weeks ago is related to the coronavirus crisis and a company doing a study on recovery. 
ADM has partnered with a hospital in Valencia on a clinical trial into the effects of using a food supplement containing live microbial strains to promote gut microbiome balance and to help improve health functions related to outcomes for COVID-19 patients in high-risk groups. And to tell us more about it is Daniel Ramon Vidal, Vice President of Health and Wellness at ADM. ADM, as you know, is a global leader in human and animal nutrition and the world's premier agricultural origination and processing company. Within ADM, there are three businesses. The first one is agri-services, that is production of star seed of distraught sweetness. The second one is oil seeds. In this unit, we produce a lot of vegetable oils and plant proteins from any botanical origin that you can imagine. And finally, the last business is nutrition. Uh, the nutrition business incorporates animal and human nutrition as well as health and wellness and our group, our team in microbiome sits in this, in this health and wellness unit. Our uh, cutting microbiome solutions offer a parallel portfolio and call it in pioneering research. And our in parallel ingredient portfolio includes prebiotics, of course, also uh, single and multi-strain probiotics and the so-called postbiotics and symbiotic blends of all of them and these symbiotic blends all of them with target clinical study benefits we try to put as much as science possible in our products and how did you come to be involved in the covid19 trial well dr cortez that is the medical doctor leading this uh, trial has a long-standing relationship with adm and thanks to uh, ADM's reputation of R&D excellence uh, within the microbiome space, Dr. Cortez contacted uh, our team for expert advice on the most potential suitable live microbial strains to use during this trial. So we were discussing for hours about what will be the best combination. And I think that at the end, our expertise was critical to bring in the trial to fruition. Could you give me some more details on the actual trials themselves? Yes, the trial is taking place in the hospital of Sagunto, that is one of the public uh, leader hospitals in the Valencian community in Spain. And uh, we are using in this trial Gastel Plus. This is a live microbial probiotic-based food supplement that is marketed by Laboratories Health, the German company in Spain, and is formulated using three of our probiotic strains with a strong anti-inflammatory and antioxidant activity, and also essential nutrients like vitamin D, selenium, and zinc. So uh, we worked tirelessly to fast-track approvals as well as secure sufficient quantities of the product. That was at the middle of March. And in addition, also we collaborate with the hospital on designing the clinical trial. We help them uh, with the protocols and advising on the samples to take. And in addition, uh, we provide all the expertise in the, in the microbial strains. Uh, this is not uh, our only work on COVID-19 infection. Also, we are working and exploring the potential beneficial effects of some other ingredients from the ADM portfolio. For example, botanical extracts, soils, or fibers in separate preclinical trials. In this case, we are not in human clinical trials. We are working with uh, animal models. And the idea is through this research, we hope to create more unique blends of our health and wellness ingredients that may help support the health of those for whom COVID-19 possess the greatest threat. And what aspects of the research that you're doing in immunity and the microbiome are you most excited about at the moment and what holds the most promise for future innovation? Well, it's clear that the evolution 
of the definition of the consumers of wellness is bringing a lot of attention to immunity and the microbiome. And the, look, the consumers are look, looking for a more holistic solution that incorporates peace of mind as well as a healthy body. In this sense, we are working in, in a lot of different areas using microbiome as a tool. And the most promising one, of course, are um, gut health, the digestive system and immunity, because this is clear in all the probiotic companies, but also we are working a lot in the mind, the health, the healthy living, the healthy aging, aging and inclusively in pharma solutions. Uh, microbiome could be a tool for the future uh, in nutrition, human nutrition and animal nutrition, and we have this holistic way. What can you tell us about your research capabilities? Well, ADM's microbiome and immunity research is led in our facilities in Valencia, in Spain. We have a building with uh, 1,500 square meters with 11 laboratories located in the scientific park of the University of Valencia. We have an uh, in-house R&D team of more than 45 scientists that is focus entirely on the microbiome studies. Uh, our pantry of targeted solution is rooted in proprietary science and is anchored by consumer needs. And of course, we publish all our, all our results. Actually, we have more than 50 publications in the best journals and also all our probiotic strains are protected by, by patents. Alien capabilities include, as I mentioned before, cutting preclinical and clinical research, product development, and finally capacities for commercialization. Uh, we are carrying out a, a lot of provoking clinical work in emerging areas, such for example, infertility, gut brain axis, Parkinson. In all these areas, there are previous reports indicating a putative role of uh, microbiome, and we are working on that. Very busy with a lot of different projects. Do you think that because of the pandemic, that products that you're creating and immunity and probiotics and general health is going to become much more important around the world? No doubt. Um, if you take into consideration the last market reports numbers are, are clear. For example, 18 10 consumers are worried about the health impacts of COVID-19. Uh, this is translated to the market growth. 23% are worried about their immune system being impacted by the infection. Uh, globally, 77% of consumers said they will make attempts to stay healthy in, in the future as a result of COVID-19. People is looking for solutions such as probiotics to support uh, with concerns, including immunity and brain health. And this is particularly important, that's my opinion, in the case of millennials, because they are the most active adopters. But also, and this is extremely interesting from a product development point of view, elderly people, because this last collective has been the most affected by the pandemic as a consequence is extremely sensitized. So no doubt that uh, coronavirus is uh, a big change for the future. And next, it's over to cheese. DuPont Nutrition and Biosciences has launched DuPont Danisco Chymostar, a new milk coagulating preparation for the dairy industry that offers optimal coagulation and ripening kinetics. And to tell us more about it is Clementina Dello Monaco, DuPont's Global Product Line Manager for Dairy Enzymes. I wonder if you could tell me first about the new cheese coagulant, how long it's taken from starting with the concept all the way through to now bringing it to market? Yeah, uh, so I'd say that it's a very typical timeline. We typically can develop 
new innovations between two to three years, really depending on the complexity of the enzymes. Now, the concept is always something that we keep on looking at because uh, we are in the field of coagulants and, of course, innovating is part of what we do. So I wouldn't say exactly the concept because it's an evergreen and, and it's always a learning when we are with customers. But yeah, I would say that it's in line with any other enzyme development that we may undertake. You just launched it now. Was there any thought of delaying it because of coronavirus or is it really not a concern? Um, well, that, that's a question that uh, for certain we, we addressed. And um, with so many manufacturers in need of a second supplier, we opted to go ahead even with the COVID situation because we thought that it could help provide yet another player in the field in case they were to have um, supply issues. And at the same time, perhaps, you know, with so many people at home, it was a good time even to get some mind share from customers and consumers and to have more time to digest the information that we provided. And uh, how do you decide on the product names? Well, Chymosar has been our DuPont brand. Um, we have had an offering of Chymosin a couple of years ago, and then uh, we discontinued that product. And so we really wanted to stay uh, faithful to our brand because it was a very good enzyme. And so we, we came back with a similar name just to reflect the nature and the fact that it was a DuPont branding. Uh, I, I noticed that this is a product that can be used for any cheese. How do you test? I mean, there are thousands of cheeses around the world. How do you yes, test exactly. to, make sure, to make sure that it works? So chymosins, fermentation produce chymosins, are among the most flexible type of coagulant that you may use. However, I always like to say that there is a coagulant for every need or for every cheese. And so while you may use it for, for any cheese type, really, where this coagulant is more suitable for is where you have cheeses where you want to develop some sort of flavor. And so when you want perhaps to save on a ripening time, where you're really interested in the texture of the cheese, or where perhaps you're really looking at the meltability and the, um, and the properties of the pizza cheese so that you don't get as much blistering. Of course, you can use it in many other cheese types, and as we roll out, we will learn more and more as we roll out in other regions. But the best thing is to always address the cheese types with the best coagulants for the job. And that's why we were trying to expand the portfolio in such a way that between our expertise and the molecule tool sets that we have, then we can provide a better suggestion and recommendation to customers. So what would be the advantages of your product compared to others in the market? Well, I, I do think that if you look at the market, there are several coagulants and sometimes they have been categorized as different generations or improvements upon the previous ones. And uh, we actually conducted some study with our application team, as I mentioned before, to, to really try to understand what was best to develop. So the, the molecule that we have selected is a bovin type of chymosin. So we really looked at the cheese producers' needs, what doesn't make them sleep at night. And so we figured that the yield, the ripening. So what is different is, of course, we have a very pure product. It's already preservative-free. It builds upon the strength of what we already know, bobbin, which, you know, some people may refer to the first type of coagulant, but it has some features that have been gotten lost with the development of high-specificity type of coagulants. So I think that the differentiating character is that we really built upon the knowledge and all the aspects and facets of the new developments and brought back 
the properties of bobbin that really shine in the aged and, and cheeses that go through affinage. And, and as far as for a producer that is going to be buying a coagulant product from you, what will they notice in terms of a difference? Will it save them money? Will it extend shelf life? Will it just give them a better tasting product? How, do, how will they see the advantages? I, I really always think that one coagulant cannot change the life of the manufacturer, right? It's a, it's a combination of the coagulant the right cheese type, and the person that can advise you on how to optimize everything, even without our tool sets and, and instrumentation. Now, what they will see, and the reason why we did this was to help them save on ripening time, because sometimes if you use um, some coagulants that perhaps have developed for more modern cheese making and sliceability, those type of coagulants tend to not really fare much flavor. And so if you have a cheese, a hard cheese, where you want some of that, it may mean that you have to wait for a very long time, and it's very expensive to do that. So that's what we try to do with this coagulant. So you'd expect at least to have good texture, you know, a good cost for you if you need to maturate your cheese. And of course, this means also that with the cheese getting sold earlier and earlier, even with the hard cheese, that means that you can move your lots a lot faster than before. And obviously, this is part of a portfolio of products that you have. What else do you have that um, cheesemakers would use? Absolutely. So the, the whole reason for this was to make sure that we enabled our customers. So we have a strong cheese cultures collection. We do have already Carlina and Marzlime, which are our offerings in animal rennets and microbial enzymes. And so we really mix this fermentation produce chymosine to be able to provide that breadth of portfolio where you can just plug and play with the right tools to optimize your cheese. And how long has it been on the market? Have you got any feedback yet from customers on it? Uh, this has actually been on the market just for a couple of weeks. So we certainly only launch after... We do some customer validation trials, and so the, the trials have all been successful and has shown what we expected. Now we head to the U.S. for a chat with Ilana Fisher, the CEO of Wisps, a cheese snack that's been doing very well in the market there. And after we chatted about lockdown, restaurants in Connecticut, and all kinds of other things unrelated to the company, which of course was all my fault for talking too much, we did talk about the company and its products, Wisps. Wisps has certainly been a great success story so far. How have you been affected by the coronavirus pandemic at the moment? You know, we're obviously headquartered in downtown Manhattan, and our team is all in the New York City area, with the exception of our, our sales organization, which is, you know, based around the country regionally. So we decided to close the office on March 12th, and that was the day after the NBA had canceled its season, and Tom Hanks came out with COVID, and it just felt like suddenly this thing that had been a little bit mysterious and hard to tell if it was going to be how big it was going to be. It just suddenly became obvious that it was a very, very big deal. Wisps is headquartered in a, in a WeWork actually downtown New York. And our office is very, very small for the number of people on the team. And we liked it because we liked all sort of being in the same space and overhearing each other. It was actually a great way to collaborate and work but not a great way to stay distanced from people. So we, we closed the office 
uh, on the 12th. We started working remotely on the 16th. And I have actually always been kind of old-fashioned, I would say, about working from home. I tended to be really negative about it, and I wanted everybody to be in the office. I really felt that the culture and sort of the casual conversations that happen when people are in the same space were really important. And I still think that, but when you take 100% of the team and you move them to home offices, then there is no in-person casual conversation happening that someone else is missing, right? That's just kind of gone. And I have to say that the team did not miss a beat. And if I look at sort of second half of March, April, and May, and compare that to you know the first three or so months of the year, we had more meetings with customers. We had we landed more new business and um, continued on all of the projects that we had set out as priorities before COVID. And at the same time, there were some things that really needed to to change. We had a, a big part of our marketing effort at Wisps is to sample the product because we know that when people taste Wisps, they love them and they're likely to buy them. It's it's really pretty simple for us. And so we wanted to capitalize on that and basically just, you know, sign up for sampling events and concerts and street sampling and in-store sampling all over the country all year. We had a we were going to hire somebody to run our field marketing program, and we were planning to sample three million consumers this year. Um, obviously, when you have the entire country in their homes, that's not an option. So, we changed the role on the marketing team to focus more on digital marketing, and we had a whole bunch of of samples that we we wanted to give away and we ended up shipping 500,000 bags of wisps to hospitals across the country in the month of April. And so I guess that's kind of a long-winded way of saying in in some ways nothing changed. Things didn't change as much as I thought they would and at, at the same time the team was able to just pivot so quickly to adjust to all of the changing circumstances. It was really amazing to watch. Could you give me a, a bit of a background on the origins of the company and where the idea came from for the product? Oh, sure. Wisps are actually, they're not my idea. They're, people have been baking grated cheese in their homes for generations. This is something that is very common in in Italy, and it's called Frico, and people grate cheese. And in Italy, they either bake it or fry it, um, and they usually put it on top of, it turns into sort of a crispy you know, a crispy chip or, or, or cracker, and people often put it on top of salads. And I loved that, and, and pretty much everyone on earth would love that. Um, it's delicious. The hard thing is that you, when you do that at home, you know, the crisp tastes good for about, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes before it starts getting chewy or too hard or too oily and then the oil gets rancid and it's, it's really it's something that you have to literally sort of bake and then serve right away and i wanted we wanted to make something that had all of the taste and, and benefit of frico with that you could actually buy at a supermarket and so we weren't the first ones to do this wisp started when i worked at a i took a job at a, a cheese company called schumann cheese which is an italian cheese maker and importer. And really it was a way for us to create 
uh, a snack that our sales team could sell into cheese buyers. We thought that it would be a fun additional product for them to sell in addition to the grated Parmesan and, and sliced cheese that they sold. And uh, at first it, it, it was that. At first it was just trying to convince these buyers that, you know, this is, this is a good idea. Normally they don't buy things that aren't refrigerated, but they sort of, some of them took a chance on us. And then somehow Wisps just took off and grew exponentially over the first few years um, to the point that it became the fastest growing business unit in the company, the, uh, the most profitable business unit in the company. And then it started to feel a little bit like it was a distraction. And we were talking all the time, nonstop on the senior leadership team about wisps and wisps and wisps and wisps. How are we going to grow wisps? How are we going to sell wisps? And we had a whole company of, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people that were basically their job was to sell cheese. And that's what they had. This company had done for four generations. And that's what the team did. And we just realized at some point that Wisps needed to be its own its own company. So so a year ago, Schumann spun the, the business off and Wisps is now an independent company. Um, we spun off with me and two other people from Schumann and no one else on the team, but a whole lot of customers. And we've spent the last year hiring a team. We now have about 30 people on the team and we've doubled the size of the business and are continuing to grow every month over month. So it's been a really fun, fun process to develop this concept that was really just like the idea was just like, this is just a product that you can have in your arsenal and in your portfolio for a cheese sales team. And now it's a whole business, a whole category. We're leading the category. It's just been, it's been incredibly exciting. Was there ever any danger of it all taking off too fast? Um, it wasn't that fast. It, it's funny. I think it's a really good point. It, it could have, it could have been. And I think what we actually, it, we didn't move that fast in hindsight. It sounds like it all went very quickly, but we spent the first two years before we launched a pro before we launched anything. We spent the first couple of years doing R and D because it's actually even though all we do is grate cheese and bake it and then sell it. That's that's the whole process. There's not really a secret in how it gets made, but figuring out exactly which cheese to grate. Not all Parmesan is created equal, and not all Parmesan bakes equally. So figuring out the exact recipe took, you know, weeks, months. Of, of R&D and then figuring out exactly what temperature to bake it at and, and the speed. And I mean, literally we would like run cheese through the, the oven, say we need to turn it up one degree or make it run two seconds faster, make it run two seconds slower, turn it down three degrees. And, and it was, you know, it was, a, there was an extreme amount of time that we spent on R&D um, before we launched the product into the market because one of the benefits of being part of a privately held company is we had no, you know, there's no public investors asking you, you know, where's that product launch? So we, we really took the time to, to make sure that we had the best tasting product uh, before we launched it into the market. And I think the fact that we invested that time up front is what has allowed us to grow really quickly since then. And how did you come up with all the different flavor variants and what flavor variants do you have in the range? So we started with our Parmesan, which is, still our, our number one item. And uh, the second flavor that we came up with was cheddar. And we we were selling uh, the parm and the Parmesan is, is was doing well, but you realize when you go into grocery stores that you need more than one flavor in order to 
you know, basically draw people's attention from the millions of things on the shelf. You need to have a little bit of a of a banner. And so we thought we sat back after a year. We had grown so quickly. We, we sat back after a year and we said we should probably make a second or third flavor of this product. And so we came up with cheddar because, you know, it's America and Americans love cheddar. It was a very easy decision to come up with cheddar. But we as a cheese company did not make cheddar at the time. So we went to the plant and we brought in, I mean, really every kind of cheddar that, that you could think of. We brought in, you know, Irish cheddar, English cheddar, aged cheddar, young cheddar, low fat cheddar, yellow cheddar, white cheddar. I mean, every every single iter variation of cheddar just to figure out because we knew it would be hard and nothing worked. And every time we baked it, it was either too oily or when we baked the low fat cheddar, which worked better, it had no flavor. And we actually delayed our cheddar launch because we um, we just didn't feel like we had a, a good enough tasting product. And we made our own cheddar cheese for Wisps. So we did end up launching a cheddar that was our second flavor, but it came out about six months later than we thought it was going to because we decided to make the cheese. And I think the reason that our cheddar tastes so good is because we literally make the cheddar for Wisps. And that's the only use for that cheese. And it's made in, in a really special plant in Wisconsin. And, and how often do you come up with new flavors? We launched the cheddar, then we came out with uh, our Asiago pepper jack because we wanted a, a spicy option for people. Um, and those were our three pure cheese flavors. And we continued to test other cheeses, and I think there still is some potential for other cheeses. But we realized, you know, we were a cheese company, and we just we thought cheese, 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 like that's all that this is. We should just come up with different, you know, we should just bake different cheeses. And then at some point, someone said to me, you know, you're a snack and you should look at snacks and see what they do. And we realized that there's a lot of wonderful flavors that come in adding spices to, you know, chips or crackers. And after our, our three core cheese flavors, we launched uh, barbecue bacon and tomato basil, which is basically our Parmesan and cheddar cheese wisps with uh, spices on top of them. And um, we just recently came out with ranch and nacho flavored wisps, which is our sort of direct competition or competitive product for Doritos. Um, and so now we're really moving into more of the um, different spices on top of the on top of the wisps. There's a lot of variety there that we can achieve. Sure. And, and do you have different variations in uh, packaging sizes as well? We do. We have a, a club size bag, which is our uh, a nine and a half ounce bag, our everyday bag, which is a two ounce bag. And then we now have um, hundred calorie packs that we sell as well. Obviously, we, we talked about coronavirus a bit earlier, but with the switch that a lot of people seem to have made to buying online, have you seen that reflected with your products? And, and is it something that you can take advantage of? Yeah, we have. We had a record month on Amazon in April and uh, are continuing to see record sales on Amazon. We also worked really closely with all of our retail partners to make sure that we were set up well for their dot coms. So, you know, target.com, Kroger.com, et cetera. And we're also partnering with companies like Instacart to help shoppers who are building their shopping lists online find wisps. You know, it's funny because one of the things that we know about wisps is that 
if people see wisps in a store, they're pretty likely to buy them. So our biggest priority for this year was just to get merchandising in the stores, get the product sort of off the shelves and into shippers and in displays. And then suddenly nobody was going into stores anymore. So our merchandising effort had to morph to focus on digital merchandising, like basically popping off of websites. That's what the marketing team has focused on for the last few months. What do the next few months hold? Obviously, we can't predict when all of these lockdowns are going to end, but what are your plans for the next little while? You know, this summer we're, we're doing a, um, a road trip program or a road trip marketing campaign to basically recognizing that a lot of people will be doing maybe more modest vacations than they had planned and not getting on planes uh, and, you know, not traveling very far, but, you know, we'll still be looking for ways to to take a break. And WISPs, we think, is a, is a great snack for that. So our marketing effort this summer will be about, about road trips. And we're continuing to launch in, in new channels and new customers. I think the, the value channel will be will be a big one for us. And we've got two new flavors that are that are just launching, our ranch and our nacho, which I mentioned before. Uh, those are rolling out in July across the country. They're available um, now on our website and in Publix, um, but they're rolling out nationwide this summer. So those will be on shelves across the country too. And any plans for international expansion obviously canada would be the closest but other countries as well we love yeah canadians love wisps and we love canadians uh at wisps we have a great business in canada and we're in canadian costco's walmart in canada uh sobeys and a number of other retailers uh across the canadian market and we absolutely focus on on canada as a, as a big opportunity for us and wisps are doing really well there Europe, is that an option at some point? Or Australia, New Zealand? There's so many markets, I guess, that you could enter into. Yeah, I think so. I really do. I, I, I think so, yes. And I also think there's so much more potential for WISPs in the U.S. I want us to stay, to stay focused right now. But I think this would be an absolutely fantastic product in Europe, um, in Australia, and in Asia, too. I think there's a lot of potential. And I think that's probably... Not a 2020 priority for us. It's definitely a priority in the next few years. Now we're back to the UK for something that would probably be a dream job for a lot of people. When you ask young children what they want to be, it's nurse, firefighter, police officer, football player. Funny how no one ever says writer, though. But one job plenty of adults would say, yes, I'd like to do that, is cheese buyer for a big retailer. And one of the big retailers here in the UK is Waitrose. And to help out some of the smaller cheese producers who were having a hard time due to the lockdown and loss of markets, Waitrose stepped in and created an affordable box of cheese products. To tell us all about it is Waitrose's assistant cheese buyer, Alice Shrubsall. You have a very um, interesting job title there as well, don't you? Assistant <laughs> cheese buyer. What does that involve? Yeah, so I'm assistant buyer, but essentially we are totally accountable for our own categories. So yeah, I look after the cheese counter and then I look after Christmas pre-packed cheese, which is really, really fun. You know, it's, it's kind of a lot of product development and then three weeks of really intense sales. And then I also look after long life milk and dairy alternatives. So it's quite a nice little mix. 
is there like a, a local flavor to a lot of the cheeses that you have in all of the different Waitroses or is it just like you buy one cheese and it goes everywhere? No, I kind of got a core range, which yeah, will be in every single branch and that'll be, you know, like the really, really popular cheeses like the Cheddars and the Manchegos. Um, and then we have, we split the country into 16 different regions um, and each region has its own range um, of local cheeses, basically. So that's really good. And how we do it is we like to build up the cheese when it goes into, you know, it starts off in seven branches and with the hope it ends up in about 250 branches. So we slowly like to build it up and try and get customers to know the cheeses. It also gives them something a bit new on the counter as well. And I suppose if you're a small cheese producer and all of a sudden you go from being in one shop to 250, it might be a bit overwhelming mm-hmm. as well. Exactly. Like we would never want to... We would always want to make sure that they were prepared for the kind of volume increase. And because for some people, you know, it will take a few years. And we totally understand that once we review the line. But yeah, for some, they're kind of up and ready to go, which is great. It really is a different story for every single product that we have. But it's really, really nice to see them grow. We had a little product called Bix, which we put into about 60 branches when it launched. And then I think it took about six months, but we got to about 100 branches. And then we realized that cheese was so amazing that we wanted everyone to have it. So we put it into all branches, and it was one of our Christmas pre-packed hero lines. Um, so it got all the marketing support, and it was really, really good for the maker. And it's such a lovely cheese anyway. We couldn't, we couldn't not put it in our Christmas range. And um, where's that from? What region? It's from Oxfordshire. It's kind of near Henley on Thames, little little village called Bix. So yeah, it's really, really nice to get to do that kind of stuff. Over the last few months, have you noticed any changes in purchasing habits of cheeses? Yeah, we definitely have. I think we definitely saw consumer confidence go down, um, especially when, you know, social distancing kicked in. I think what we saw was our customers were coming into Waitrose with a specific list of products that they wanted. They were quite keen to get in and out quickly. So for us on the counter, we usually let our customers browse it for a while. So I think as soon as that happens, you know, they want they want cheese, so they're just going to go to the prepack section and just get whatever's on their list. And so that is that was the reasoning behind putting this new product together? So yeah, essentially, as soon as COVID hit, we saw all of our orders, all of the demand just completely drop off. But because we have so many artisan cheese suppliers on the counter, we really needed to provide them with consistent and continuous orders. Our number one priority was to make sure that we supported the cheese makers. We work really, really closely with a handful of them, but we've got a really, really good relationship with them. So we moved them all from a kind of a cutting where we cut all the cheese on the counter, that kind of format, to selling them from a pre-pack format. So it's really, really good for the customers to kind of grab and go. We identified that customers wouldn't be 100% comfortable with partners you know near food or touching food and as our pre-packed sales were absolutely flying we just thought it would be a really good idea to move them into pre-packed to try and get encourage customers a little bit and to feel a bit more safe and to just pick up the cheeses um, and still be able to you know support the makers and have these amazing cheeses so that's how the box came around I think we did that but we knew that we had to do something more and really you know the cheese suppliers were our number one priority here as well as you know making sure that our customers had a really good offering that we knew 
that once we pulled all, all those cheeses together, we would have a really good product for our customers and they would absolutely love it. And they have been loving it. So it's been a really, really positive experience. You said that the cheeses, you're pre-packaging them now so that people can just pick them up. Is that that applies to a lot of the artisan cheeses that you would stock? And, and do you do that secondary packaging or does the, the cheesemaker do that? So yeah, the cheesemakers will tend to do it. They've been really, really proactive in this time. Um, I think they saw it coming as well. So, you know, I think they, they turned around shelf life trials really quickly. A lot of them have their own branding anyway. So it, for them, it was it was quite easy to do. I think for us, it was just kind of the logistical side, making sure that we can get them in really quickly and keep supporting them with the orders. I think for a pre-packed cheese as well, just having the demand there for that kind of grab-and-go aspect of the purchase, it was really, really key for us. And that was kind of our only way that we were going to be able to provide consistent orders. We haven't done it with all of our cheeses because I think the feedback from our customers is that they still want to be able to buy a specific size of cheese that they want. But I think in some cases we get an indication of what size they buy anyway. So we could just kind of match it to make sure we've got the perfect size cheese that they want. And for these pre-packages, are they all the uniform size or are they just sort of little pieces of cheese that are a variety of sizes all the way from small right through to large ones? Essentially, we've, we've taken the same approach for every store on the specific products that we've moved into pre-pack. I think because we, we were able to identify what size cheese our customers usually buy, and that will usually kind of be around 180 to 300 grams. So we kind of, you know, it's also working with the cheese suppliers to work out what size product they could also make. Some are 180 grams, and that's, that's perfect because it gets to a really, really good retail price for the customer as well. Um, but for some, yeah, 200 grams works well as well. So you have all of these cheeses from around the UK and you have this best of British cheese box. Must have been difficult to narrow it down to just a few products to put in there. It definitely was a hard decision about which cheeses to put in there because we have so many great cheeses that we stock already all over the country. But we really, really wanted to support our suppliers who needed our help the most. So we identified, you know, how much of their turnover is Waitrose um, and how much other business have, you know, have they lost during this time. We kind of targeted our most vulnerable cheese suppliers at that time, but also ones that we've got really, really long-standing and strong relationships with. And we also chose the cheeses that we also knew that our customers would love to, so they tend to be the more popular ones as well. It's a bit like doing judging for one of the cheese awards, I guess. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it has, it's definitely been an eye-opener. I think the first box that we went out with has, you know, it's had a really, really positive response. Um, I think we did choose the right cheeses going in there. Um, we were able to hit, in my opinion, a really good retail price for the customers as well, but also making sure that we're, you know, paying the cheese suppliers the, the right amount that we should be. Is it something that you will change around maybe after? I mean, let's let's hope that we're not still in lockdown in six months' time, but is, is it something that you'll continue after lockdown and maybe rotate the cheeses? I think we will carry on with it for as long as the cheese suppliers need us um, until, you know, everything kind of goes back to a more stable time, really. I think bringing newness to the counter is always well appreciated by the customers. So, yes, absolutely. We are already looking at how we can how we can switch up the selection box and just make it a bit more exciting for the customers, but also to make sure that 
we're supporting all of our cheesemakers through this time. So yeah, really excited about the next variant of it. Of course, you're in the middle between the cheesemaker and the consumer. What's reaction been like from both sides, from the cheesemakers and from the consumers to the box? So I think from the cheesemakers, it's definitely been very much appreciated. And it, it's something that you don't always see the retailers doing. So I think it's, it's where we've stepped out of our comfort zone a little bit. But also, I think we've actively said that it, we're doing this for the cheesemakers. So I think it's definitely well appreciated. I've had a lot of conversations with them recently and we really are doing all that we can to, to drive their sales. For one of the makers who is featuring in the box, we managed to get her in our Waitrose weekend um, with a lovely picture of her and you know, her producer story as well um, and her relationship with Waitrose. So we're definitely trying to tackle it from all angles, but just making sure that the box is in our customers' eyes. And then... The feedback from consumers is that they absolutely love the box. I think people tend to go to the counter if they've got an occasion, but I think it gives the customers an opportunity to also try different cheeses that they might not necessarily have tried before. I think we've also put together a box where customers can actually freeze the cheese if they want to do so. It lasts for a while. So I do believe it's quite good value for money as well. But yeah, we tend to do really well on selection packs at Waitrose, so... I think it's definitely up our customer street. The price point isn't so high that people wouldn't try it. Absolutely. I think getting the right retail price for this was absolutely key. It's not a money-making thing for Waitrose. It's making sure that the price point was accessible to everyone who is going to go into Waitrose to make sure that it, you know, the price point isn't off-putting at all. And now it's time for our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Liam Fenton from INTL FC Stone. This week um, we've recovered uh, some of the loss of the previous uh, weeks in skimmed powder and butter. Um, I guess this can be accounted for by export numbers which were stronger for butter than uh, expected. And also the GDT result which overall was up around 1.9%, particularly strong for skimmed powder which was up around 3%. So that brought um, butter back up um, from last week in, in the likes of quarter three, where it was trading around the 33.20 level to up to around up around 30 euros, 33.50 level. Quarter four also was a bit stronger, maybe, um, but overall around the 33.90 level. Quarter one was up around 30.40 euros to 34.60. And quarter two of 2021 in butter was up uh, 40 euros to 35.40 level. Uh, Skimmel powder uh, was stronger all along the curve. Quarter three was up around 25 euros to 21.65. Quarter four was up around uh, 50.60 euros to 22.10 level. Quarter one 2021 then on skim was up around 40 euros to 22.60 level. And uh, quarter two was up slightly, maybe around the 22.90 level. Way, while it also experienced record uh, volumes of exports uh, to the Chinese market, uh, was trading around a 7.50, 7.60 level. Thanks, Liam. We'll talk to you again next week. INTL FC Stone provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tool and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. And that's it for another week. 
In the next few podcasts, there are already a few interviews done, so I can tell you who we do have coming up, or at least some of them. We have Fair, Danone Nutritia, Metla Toledo, MVP Dairies, Take Two, the IATP and IDF, Norseland, Seelig, and a few others. As I said, busy times, and I have all kinds of notifications popping up telling me when the next interview is. And without that, I'd probably be in trouble. Hopefully where you are, there are a few more relaxations on the lockdown, although the most important thing is to avoid that second spike, I guess. It was fantastic to see a big rugby game in New Zealand this week with a big crowd, even though the Chiefs lost. One of the things about travelling so much is you get to see all kinds of places and find favourite teams in all of them. Well, I do anyway. Here in the UK, there are more stores opening, so let's just hope people are able to approach it all sensibly. So, wherever you are, stay safe, take care, have a great week ahead, and as always, thanks for listening.